Okay, guys, we are we are moving towards the end of uh, numbers. We've still got a few more weeks. There's a lot here, um, but we're going to talk about chapter 18 through 20 today. Now, at the end of our time today, we're basically going to be going almost to the end of our time. We're not having group discussion today because there really isn't that many things that we can discuss about here as a group. But we are going to, as we normally do, allow you to ask questions as we go along. Okay? Ask questions as we go along. Now, I think, as, as, as most of you are aware, we're talking about a large portion through numbers. We're not going to read the passages, but we are going to discuss them. So let's kind of bring ourselves up to date here. The timing of this part of numbers, okay, is, okay, let's go back to the 12 spies. 12 spies incident happened two years, a little over two years after they left Egypt. And they were all the way up to Kadesh Barnea, which is just below where Israel is. They were to send out 12 spies to make a report. Of course, they came back. Ten of them said, yeah, it's beautiful. It's the land, but we can't do it. We're insignificant. We'll get defeated. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, they're big, but we can do it with God. The people decide, we're going back. We're going to select a leader. We're going to go back to Egypt. God gets upset basically condemns them then to wander the wilderness for 40 years till every one of that generation is dead except Caleb and Joshua. And those 10 who gave the bad report were killed with a plague. Okay? And then they wandered for 40 years. The next chapter we get to, which is where we were last week, it's almost like you're fast-forwarding in time 40 years. So when you read it, it's not next week when you read that next chapter. You fast forward 40 years. So a lot of the information about what happened during that 40 years is not recorded in the scripture. So you need to understand it really isn't of importance to us. Okay? What exactly happened every moment, every, every little bit of the detail of that 40 years is not significant to us. But we're going to talk about what happens as they get now at the end of that 40 years, and we see, remember last week, that there was a rebellion. The Levites, for some reason, decided that they wanted to serve as priests, as well as there were two guys from who were Reubenites from the, the clan of Reuben, who didn't like Moses' authority, and so they were rebelling. God, of course, <laughs> dealt with that. What do you mean? Well, ground opened up, swallowed the guys who led the rebellion. 250 of the leaders who were joining the rebellion are consumed by fire. And guess what? Do you think the people are like, oh, no, they're like more upset with Moses. So what does God do? He strikes them with the plague. 14,700 of them are killed before Moses and Aaron intercede on their behalf and God stays the plague. And you're like, at what point? I'm, I'm reading all this and I'm like, at what point do they grow up? At what point do they realize but aren't we asking those kind of same kind of questions today when we deal with people? Like, how much bad stuff has to happen before you realize the way you're doing things doesn't work, right? But isn't that, be honest with you, isn't that the blindness of sin and a darkened heart? 
Do you know what I'm saying? So we're going to see that a little bit more today. So we're going to go into chapter 18. So first of all, when you get into chapter 18, there's going to be some instructions concerning the priesthood and the Levites. And it almost makes sense that they would have to spend some time discussing this. And that's because they just had a rebellion of the Levites and what their role is. So first thing we're going to see here is that most Levites were permitted to function as assistants to the priests. Now, they couldn't be priests, but they were permitted limited functions within the tabernacle to serve the priests. In fact, it's, it's kind of like this. God's gift to the priests, because that was a small group of people, the sons of Aaron, he gave them, as a gift for their service, the Levites to help them. Now, they weren't slaves, folks. Don't think of Levites as being the priest's slaves. But they were given as a gift to the priests to function in the tabernacle, taking care of things. And folks, when you're talking about, let's just stop for a moment. When you're talking about processing the sacrifices of a million people, all right, so you're talking about the slaughtering of that, the burning of certain parts, the getting rid of those carcasses and stuff. Is that going to take folks needing, that, just a handful of priests isn't going to be able to handle that, right? No, you're going to need other people to, to give order to the whole function of the tabernacle. That's what the priests were to do. So, their ministry included Everything except they couldn't handle the furnishings. Remember, they couldn't handle the table of showbread, which was gold, or the golden lampstand, or the altar of incense. They couldn't even handle, they especially couldn't handle, every, you would get killed, the, the ark. And they couldn't handle the great altar, which was the bronze altar out in front of the main tabernacle, the great tabernacle, where they would burn the sacrifices. They weren't allowed to do those. They weren't allowed to be ministering there. That was where the priests were, okay? So how did they get paid? Okay, so if you're, if, if that's your sole function is to function in the tabernacle and you can't own property or, or whatever, how do you get paid? Well, God sets up a system of how they're to be taken care of. So the Levites would receive from him, that is God, a portion of the offerings. So when you got a million people coming and making offerings, so they're making financial offerings, they're making uh, offerings of their fruits, which would be grain, grapes, you know, any olives and so forth, they're making offerings. You know, when they tithe, they tithe of everything, folks. And they're making these firstborn animals and so forth. So the Levites would receive from him a portion of the offerings which were presented in worship. So whatever was brought there, the Levites would receive that. Now, yes. Yes, yep. Uh, they produce their own money. Yes, yeah, because now they're a nation, and they have to use shekels now. Okay, remember, there was a certain amount of offering that they had to give a, a temple tax. We've already seen that instituted, which was shekels, and so they would have a form of... 
Yes, you would sell, yeah. In fact, if you read this passage, if somebody brought a blemished animal to make a sacrifice, let's say you got to make a sacrifice and you got to bring a lamb, but the only lamb you got is a lamb that's got one eye shut, okay, and it's not perfect and it limps, but that's the only offering you have. The text will tell you in chapter 18 that you were then to make a five shekel, I think, offering with money. Did you understand what I'm saying? Offering with money. Okay, now let's fast forward at least 3,000 years to the time of Jesus. A couple, maybe a thousand, two thousand years in the future to the time of Jesus. And you remember Jesus did something not once that's recorded in the Gospels, but twice he, what, got together a whip, and what did he do, folks? Yeah, he turned the tables over and he cleaned out, what, the court of the Gentiles because it had become a place of profit. Well, that was all that came out of this system. The money changers, people selling doves, people selling animals, all came out of this system because... What they did was, is it, it was smart, but it became, like with everything, it gets corrupt. You've got pilgrims coming from all over the world, but they got to make a temple, got to pay a temple tax, a temple sacrifice with finances, but the temple's not going to take your Roman coins. Temple's not going to take your Persian coins. You know, temple's not going to take your Greek coins. Oh, you're from all the way over in Gaul or Spain? We're not going to take your Spanish coins. You had to exchange your foreign currency for what? Temple currency. Oh, and they would have inspectors. You brought a lamb? Well, you know, it's kind of leaning to one side there. It's not, you know, it's not the right lamb. And so, you know, it became a racket, but it came out of this out of genuine regulations and rules. Do you understand? Out of genuine regulation and rules. All right? So, priests could also take for their own use the first fruits of the harvest. Olive oil would be brought. They could take from that. Wine. Okay? Wine, which was the produce of grapes. Okay? And the grain. They would take from the first fruits that were being offered. All right? Now, the firstborn of the clean animals were given to the Lord and slaughtered as an offering to God. So whenever somebody brought, like, okay, so let's say I've got a firstborn cow, and I bring it, that firstborn cow would be slaughtered. That would be the offering, the slaughtering of that cow and the burning of certain organs and the fat. Okay? Then the meat from that animal... The meat was not burned on the altar as a normal sacrifice, but given to the priests. Okay, so now, hold on a second. When you read through the first five books, you'll often re read of something as being a whole burnt offering. You ever read that phrase again? A whole burnt offering? Now, what's a whole burnt offering? That's where the entire animal is consumed by fire. These animals are not completely burned up. Only certain parts of them and what? The meat then is given to who, folks? The priests and the Levites. Okay? The priests and the Levites. Quite a system that the Lord had. So, the Lord, because of all the tribes, when they got into the land, 
all the tribes would receive an inheritance of land. Except one tribe, that's who? Levites. So the Lord would be the special portion or inheritance to Aaron and the Levites. The Lord would be the special portion. Okay? This is because the priests and the Levites did not have a territorial inheritance. Now, they would be given certain cities. You'll see that in the law later when we get to Deuteronomy. They would be given certain cities, okay, in which to, that would be considered theirs, but they don't have any property, all right? So, but their portion would be the Lord's. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, they would benefit from what system, folks? The tabernacle system. And all of those offerings that would be brought in. Okay? All of those offerings that would be brought in. Alright, so the Levites would receive tithes from the people as their source of income. The Levites would receive tithes from the people, so when the people brought their tithes, okay, one-tenth, a tithe was a tenth. So when the people brought their tithes to the tabernacle and then later to the temple, the Levites would receive that. That would be given to the Levites, the Lord is saying here in this passage, okay? Now, this is interesting. <laughs> when I read this, I, I thought so many of preachers who don't tithe, okay, you ever met a preacher who wants you to tithe but doesn't tithe himself? Okay. It's interesting. The Levites were to tithe of their income. That is, they had to give back a portion, but what they gave back was grain and wine. Grain and wine back to the Lord. So the Levites were to tithe of their income, grain and wine, and present that to the Lord. I, I, I brought that up because... Well, as I was studying this and reading this, I, I've known many, some different pastors through the years, they'll say, oh, well, I, I don't tithe, I tithe my time. Well, that's true of everybody in church, isn't it? You ever heard that one? I tithe my time? Well, every volunteer here tithes their time, right? You know what I'm saying? We're all to give an offering to the Lord, right? That includes guys who work in ministry. And you see the basis of that goes all the way back to where, folks? The tabernacle. Okay, all the way back to the tabernacle. Even though they were supported by the tithes, they would have to give what? Back a portion. Okay, back a portion. All right, let's go on. Now we're going to get into chapter 19, and we're going to talk about laws of purification. Remember, purification was pretty important to the Jews because you could not go to the tabernacle and worship if you were unclean. And remember, they had all kinds of laws about what would make you unclean. So, for instance, let's say we have somebody over here, and he's got one of those oozing sores on his arm. Everybody's like, ooh, and they're staying away from him. That you would be unclean. That would be actually any kind of skin disorder, rash of any type or whatever, would be called what? Leprosy. It's not just Hansen's disease that we see today on TV, but any kind of skin disorder would be called leprosy. That would make you unclean. Touching a dead body, okay? So let's say you're with a loved one and they pass away, you touch that dead body, you would become unclean, 
All right, so all these things, a woman in her cycle would be considered unclean. A woman having birth would be considered unclean. Touching unclean food would make you unclean. There's, I mean, there's a whole list. We've, we've already gone through some of these before, okay? So there had to be a way of purifying them. So what we see here are the laws of purification. So what they would do is they would take a red heifer. Now, we've mentioned red heifers before because a red heifer would be used for the sacrifice for sin, the sin offering, okay, on the Day of Atonement. So the priest would sacrifice a red heifer. Now, this is a completely separate offering. This is a completely separate sacrifice from the Day of Atonement, okay? But it's still a red heifer. And sprinkle its blood seven times around the tabernacle. They would sprinkle the blood of this red heifer around the tabernacle seven times. The ashes, so they would burn this thing completely up, all right? Plus, I think, some cedar and some other items that are mentioned in the text here. They would completely burn it up, so the ashes of the heifer would be stored for use in the waters of purification. So they would gather all the ashes, and they would store these ashes. Okay? They would store them. They even tell you in the text where they would store them. Okay, I think it's outside of the camp. The, then they would mix it with water. This ash water mixture would be used to cleanse anyone who had touched a dead body. So they would make an ash water mixture from the ashes of this red heifer and water, and they would have this, I mean, that, it, Murky, whatever, I mean, it's probably looking gray, you know, I mean, all right, so they would use that. Those would be the waters of cleansing or the waters of purification, and they would use that to cleanse anyone who had touched a dead body. Now, what follows is the instructions about what you do, okay? So what follows in the text, okay? God's pretty specific in what needs to happen here. So the unclean person would be sprinkled with this mixture on the third and seventh day. Okay, so we're not talking about, boy, uh, we're not talking about taking a bath in this, but we're talking about being sprinkled with this ash water mixture. And that would happen because it would be seven days of purification if you touched a dead body. On the third day of the seven, you would get sprinkled. You go to the go to the tabernacle or whether outside and the priest would sprinkle you. On the seventh day, you would go at the end and the priest would sprinkle you. Okay? So you would be sprinkled. After which, he washed his clothes. You were commanded then to wash your clothes and you would bathe yourself. You would take, that's that once a week bath or once a month bath. Okay? Alright? Okay? You would, would bathe himself. So that's the end of the seven days. You wash all your clothes and you would take a bath. Okay? Now failure to follow this procedure resulted in death for a person who approached the tabernacle. If you didn't do this, okay, so let's say that we have a guy named here. His name's Ed. Ed here, he has a loved one who passes away. He touches the body. He becomes unclean. Over here is uh, Bill. 
Bill knows, because he lives right next door in the next tent, he knows that this has happened. He knows that Ed's unclean. But Bill also knows that Ed's not going through the process of purifying himself. Okay? Ed's not going through the process. And let's say two weeks later, Bill here sees Ed going into the tabernacle. Unclean. Didn't go through the process. What does Bill do? Hey, he's unclean. He didn't go through the process. Ed's gone. Because he didn't follow through on the law. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. The people would. Honor system and whatever, which opened up for abuse. Because now, if you remember, let's go back. Remember, we studied Acts. Remember, Paul is in the te is in the temple. He had just uh, fulfilled his Nazarite vow. He had shaved his head and and paid for the other folks who were with him. And there were some Jews from what Asia Minor who said, "This man has brought a Gentile, and the whole what tabern the whole temple grabs him and wants to kill him." Yeah. Now you understand. It's a whole system where everybody is a snitch. I, I'm not a snitch, but they're wanting to keep the the, the cleanliness of the tabernacle and the temple. Yes. Yes, you had to have two or three witnesses. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because you just couldn't like, oh, I'm going to kill you. You know what I'm saying? Because I got a grudge against you. I've got to have somebody else who's a witness. So sure enough. You know what Bill says? Yeah, Ed, his, you know, his grandma died and he touched the body and he had, you know, there would have to be somebody else to say, yeah, his grandma did die and he was there and he did bury her and, you know, and, and they would have to have witnesses to that. Yes? Yeah, it's a negative connotation. They were all responsible, and they did that. Now that now you're saying, well, that could open itself up for abuse. Yes, folks, everything human opens itself up for abuse. All right, let's go on, okay? Now, the, in chapter 20, we're going to talk about the desert of Zen. Not sin, Zen. And I'm not talking about some Eastern meditation, okay? I'm talking about an area in Sinai called Zen, Okay, so here's what happens. So within the first month of the 40th year of wandering, within the first month of the 40th year of wandering, Miriam died and was buried. Now who's Miriam, folks? Moses' sister. And she's from that generation, right? Okay. She dies, she's buried, they actually pause their journey and mourn for her 30 days. Okay? The nation mourns for Miriam 30 days. All right? Now, they continue on after that and they come back to Kadesh. Remember Kadesh Barnea? That's where the, where the whole incident happened with the 12 spies. Okay? That set the whole thing in motion. Now, folks, this is what blows my mind. Okay? So when Israel arrives at Kadesh, it's probably because of the time of the year that they were there, the well-watered oasis was dry. 
So normally this place has lots of water, but whatever, because maybe the time of the year where they were there, the well-watered oasis was dry. So there's no water. All right, you got a million folks, folks. No water. What do you do? Well, what do they do? We know what they do, right? The people complained again and challenged Moses for bringing them out of Egypt. Hello, same story over again, right? You brought us out here to die. You took us, you know, I mean, seriously. I mean, they've been doing this for 40 years. Same complaint. Watch God come do something. God punishes them. You're like, at some point, you got to decide, give it up, right? They're not giving it up. Same complaint. Moses has heard this complaint for over 42 years. All right? 42 years. The Lord told Moses to speak to the rock so that water was provided. So the Lord says to Moses, all right, Moses, this time, because before Moses struck the rock and water was provided, this time the Lord says to Moses, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock and water will be provided. Okay? I think everybody knows where this story is going, right? Okay? In his anger towards the people, Moses struck the rock twice and water was provided. So, I mean, you, you can see this. Moses is coming out there. People are like, oh, we should have, we got to get another water to go back to Egypt. And you're, no, you're worthless, Moses. And, and, and Moses has been hearing this, folks, for 42 years. 42 years. That's a pretty patient man, right? I mean, if you heard griping and complaining for 42 years, how would you be? Angry. Okay. Well, guess what? Moses has had it. Last straw has been popped. You know what I'm saying? And he's done, and guess what he does? He comes over there, and he's not going to speak to the rock. He takes his rod, and he smacks the rod. Twice, water is provided. That sounds like he's human. He's like me and you, right? Okay? Me and you should be okay, right? It's not okay. It's not okay. Because of their disobedience, Moses and Aaron were not allowed to enter the promised land. Wow. Oh, I mean, come on, Lord. You just, seriously, Lord, you would, you, yeah, God, God, it's not partial. Yeah, you're not going in. Now, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here because you and I would look at Moses and say, man, I've done that many times. I can't even count how many times that I have. And I've said to myself, it's because you provoked me. Have you not said that? It's because you drew the reaction, right? Okay, isn't that what we do? We put it on the other person. I wouldn't have acted that way if it wasn't for you. Okay? Moses could have said that. You know, I've been putting up with you guys for 42 years. What do you expect, Lord? Okay. But here's the point. You are still responsible for what? Your actions. Whether you got provoked or not. Whether you're justified or not. You're still responsible for your disobedience. Because God said, I told you to do it this way. You're responsible to doing it my way, not because of how they were acting. So they're told that they can't enter the promised land. 
So Moses requested, now the next part of the chapter goes on, they're, they're journeying, they're getting ready to go, so they want to go a different direction. Rather than coming from the south, from Kadesh, remember that's what they did before, and, and of course they were defeated when Israel tried to go on their own through the south. Moses decides he's going to go around from the south and approach it from the west, okay? He's going to go from southern, from Kadesh, cross over and approach it from the west, which means crossing over the Jordan River, okay? Which we'll read about that later. Now, to do that, you've got to pass through a territory belonging to the Edomites. Now, just to remind you who Edom is, anybody know who Edom is? Esau. That's right. Esau was who? The twin brother of who? Israel. So they've got to pass through the territory of their cousins. Okay, so Moses sends word and requests permission of Edom to pass through the land to Canaan. He sends word, hey, we're on our way back to what God had promised us. Would you, my brother, okay, would you, my brother, allow us to pass? The text will tell you that the king of Eden denied their request, not once, but twice, and sent troops to intercept Israel to make sure that they didn't do it. That is the animosity that exists even to this day between Edom and Israel. Edom, where is that today in a modern map? Well, if you were to look at a modern map today, that would be called the country of Jordan. Jordan. Okay? Jordan covers what would be known as Edom, Moab, and, and parts of Ammon. Okay? That was an interesting. Okay? So they denied the request twice and sent troops to intercept Israel. Now, while they're journeying, they come to a place called Mount Hur. And Aaron died on the mountain. He went up on the mountain. Maybe God brought him up there for a reason, but he went up on the mountain and he died there. And when he died on the mountain, his priestly garments and office were given to his son, Eleazar. Eleazar. So now Eleazar becomes the high priest. They take off his garments. Remember he had a breastplate, a turban, a belt, all of that would be taken off of Aaron's dead body and then put on his son, Eleazar, who would now become the high priest. Okay? Next week, we're going to look further into this issue of journeying into Moab. We're actually going to be in Moab three weeks. We're going to look at a little bit more next week, and then the week after that, we're going to look at Balaam. Remember Balaam and his donkey? We're actually going to talk about Balaam and a king called Balak. 